following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I'd like to read headlines and some (coughs) news clippings that I found just this last week. (coughs) The Gaza death toll is up to 121. War-torn South Sudan marks its third anniversary as famine looms. Bosnian mom buries two sons 19 years after massacre. At least 30 Ukraine troops dead in an attack. (coughs) Neighbors mourn the killing of a Texas family. Church bells fall silent in Mosul. (coughs) The Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS, seized Iraq's second largest city on June 10th causing most Christians in the region to flee in terror in new kinship with the torment of Christ crucified on the cross. The violence in Iraq is hastening the end of nearly 2,000 years of Christianity there as the few remaining faithful flee Islamic State militants, archbishops from Baghdad, Mosul, and Kirkuk said on Wednesday. And in a separate clipping, the persecution of Christians is one of the greatest human rights violations in the world today, and certainly the one least known in the West. Religious hostilities are on the rise around the world against Muslims, Hindus, Jews, folk religion followers, and more. But the situation is so bad for Christians that the normally diplomatic Pope Francis recently asserted the persecution of Christians today is even greater than in the first centuries of the church And there are more Christian martyrs today than in that era. (coughs) This last year, within a few months of each other, (coughs) two different families and friends of ours who are serving in Mongolia but were visiting Thailand experienced the death of a young child. (coughs) A few weeks ago, a a 19-year-old young man from the States who came to Thailand to serve alongside our Mennonite neighbors, died of heart failure. Could you please stand with me as we read the text for today's sermon, please? And this text is from 1 Peter 2, 19 through 24. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering. (coughs) Unjustly, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. <coughs> he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Thank you. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Let's pray.
God, I come before you this morning humbly. I pray that that all of us would come with great expectations of you. This is a heavy sermon. And it's possible that the things that I say in my own power could be nothing more than words, perhaps even tedious to hear. And yet, (coughs) your Holy Spirit can open our hearts and can take these words and can pierce our hearts with them. Allow us to understand beautiful truths and insights that we didn't know before. So we offer up this time to you, God. We commit it to you, and we pray that the entire service would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. I have titled the sermon today, The Sufferings of Christ and the Sufferings of the Saints. And today we are going to try and understand better what the Word of God says about the sufferings of Christ and how we as His followers are called to enter into those same sufferings. I want to begin, though, by clarifying there is a universal suffering, obvious by what I read at the beginning, known to everyone on earth, regardless of rank or position, regardless of race or religion. And we all experience the same kinds of things which cause suffering. Sickness, hunger, war, death. And there is a measure of similarity in the way all of humanity responds to hardship and tragedy. But as we read the Word of God, it becomes crystal clear that there is a kind of suffering unique to those who are in Christ. And an, ex- and an expectation that our responses to this suffering will be unique as well. Now, I do not want to lessen the sufferings of those who are outside of Christ. In fact, there is a desperation, a deep confusion and darkness and hopelessness to the suffering of a non-Christian which brings profound sadness. <coughs> And should drive us to our knees in prayer and to our feet in action towards the care, towards their care and towards their salvation. But for our purposes today, we are going to focus on those sufferings of Christ which his followers are uniquely called to enter into. The text I read, I first read, states so well this subject of suffering. But the fact of the matter is, so do many, many other verses in the Bible. So, while I would normally choose a single primary text and back it up with supporting texts, today I will commit a preaching faux pas and treat every verse as primary. Did you know that every single book in the New Testament has at least some reference to the suffering of those who follow Christ? Please listen while I read just a few. 1 Peter 2, 21. For, for to this you have been called, 
Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Second Timothy 1, 8, 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in my suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. First Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And last, <clears throat> Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine? Saying, far be it for you, Lord, that this shall ever happen to you. And Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? I mentioned that I would like to discuss the sufferings of Christ that we, as his followers, are allowed to enter into. <coughs> but I must begin, however, with the sufferings of Christ that he participated in, that we will not and cannot enter into. They were unique to Jesus. <clears throat> God gave Jesus his one and only son to be a sacrifice for man's sin and an atonement for man's transgression. He gave him to be delivered for our offenses and to die for the ungodly. He gave him to bear our iniquities and to suffer for our sins, the just for the unjust. He gave him to be made a curse for our sins, that we might be redeemed from the curse of the law. He gave him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He gave him to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. He gave him to be a ransom for us and to make satisfaction for our heavy debt to God by his own precious blood. He gave him to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to suffer what we could never have suffered, and to pay what we could never have paid. 
We will never be able to enter into the sufferings reserved for the holy, righteous, unblemished Lamb of God. It is only the suffering servant Jesus, the only one worthy to be slain on our behalf, who will ever fully understand the declaration, it is finished. I need to confess something here. At the beginning of my sermon preparation, I gathered so many Bible verses. I listened to so many sermons. I read commentaries. I wrote letters to friends to ask them their thoughts. (laughs) And then one day this last week, as I was trying to put my information and thoughts together... (laughs) I was struck with the thought that I wasn't even really thinking of the sufferings of Jesus. It was all about facts and sermon structure. And I discovered that I was considering lightly the infinitely profound and eternally important sufferings of Jesus. And I was ashamed of myself. I never ever want to be guilty of taking our Lord's sufferings for granted. And so I wanted to share that with you <coughs> so you understand my heart a little better as we go further into this study. So then, what are those types of suffering Jesus experienced that we might expect to enter into also because we are his followers? <coughs> I have put together a partial list And I'm sure even as I'm reading, you will consider others. But these are some of the sufferings that Christ entered into that we might also be able to enter into with him. (laughs) At least the idea, the kind of suffering. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born in a lowly, humble stable. He was rejected and he was driven out of his own hometown. (laughs) He was mocked by religious leaders and he was mocked by his family. He was publicly called crazy by his brothers. His authenticity and authority was challenged regularly and relentlessly. At times he had no place to lay his head. People were always trying to trick him and to make him look bad. Jesus was tempted in all ways known to man. Jesus helped people without being thanked. Jesus, was subject, Jesus subjected himself to all human weaknesses, including hunger, thirst, and tiredness. <coughs> He experienced deep sorrow at the loss of life and the state of humanity. He was accused of so many untrue things, gluttony, drunkenness, and more. It was suggested by the church leaders that he was in league with Satan. He was laughed at even as he was helping people. His mission was regularly misunderstood even by the closest of his friends. 
he saw his father's house defiled. He anguished deeply about going through the task which had been given to him. Jesus was betrayed by the exchanging of money. He was arrested. He was imprisoned. He was mocked, whipped, beaten. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He was put on trial. His friends left him and even denied him. He had to carry his own cross. He had nails driven into his hands and feet. And he died. I know that most of you here today are not surprised by that list. But have you ever considered which of these sufferings you have been privileged to enter into alongside and with Jesus because he entered into it? (laughs) Perhaps just as important a question, have you ever considered which of these you have tried to run away from and do not want to enter into with him? We just do not have the time today to, to fully investigate the breadth and the depth of how all the early Christ followers entered into this degree of suffering with Jesus. But let me read three passages which give a high degree of understanding of the kind of suffering that they were prepared to enter into because of what Jesus had done for them. <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And just in case... We need just a little more reminder... I think it's well worth our while to be briefly reminded of what entering into the sufferings of Jesus meant to his disciples and the early apostles. I was talking with my wife last night. Do I read the list? And actually, I I cut and pasted and I I cut out some of this. But I, I think it's important for us to understand with those closest to Jesus who experienced him how the rest of their life looked after Jesus' ascension into heaven. Some of these we know for sure. Some of them are speculated, are part of church tradition. We get from and glean from non-biblical writings. 
but most are pretty solid. This is what happened to these folks. James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Philip, who served in Upper Asia, was scourged in Phrygia, thrown into prison, and later crucified. Matthew, the tax collector, served the Lord in Parthia and Ethiopia, where he was slain with an axe-type weapon. James, the brother of our Lord, suffered martyrdom at the age of 94 by being beaten and stoned by the Jews. Matthias, the man who was chosen to replace Judas as an apostle, was stoned stoned at Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew, the brother of Peter, preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations and was crucified on a cross. (coughs) Mark was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria. Peter the apostle was sought by Nero to put to death. Jerome wrote that Peter was crucified with his head down and his feet up because he thought himself unworthy to be crucified in the same form as the manner of the Lord. Paul was really persecuted several times. He was scourged, stoned, and finally Nero had him beheaded by the sword. Jude, the brother of James, commonly called Thaddeus, was crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified by idolaters. Thomas preached the gospel in Parthia and India. And the same man who doubted Jesus had risen from the dead, excited the rage of the pagan priests, and was martyred by being thrust with a spear. Luke... Luke was supposed to have been hanged on an olive tree by the idolatrous priests of Greece. Simon the Zealot preached the gospel in Mauritania, Africa, and even Britain, where he was crucified in A.D. 74. John the Apostle, whom Jesus loved, was sent from Ephesus to Rome, where he was put into a cauldron of boiling oil. He escaped by a miracle without injury, but was then banished to the Isle of Patmos, and there he wrote the book of Revelation. It is said he was the only apostle who did not die. A violent death. As you know, <coughs> the sufferings of the followers of Jesus have continued from that point up until present day. And I could talk for the rest of the day about stories about people who have suffered the sufferings of Christ. From that time until now. But what about us? There is no way to know how suffering will manifest itself in our lives as we commit to following Jesus. But there are a few possibilities. Perhaps people will laugh at you and mock you. Perhaps they will just ignore you. Maybe you will be intentionally not invited to things. It is possible you will be slandered and falsely accused. You might be aggressively threatened publicly or privately. You might have to live in a context which you don't like and which is very oppressive. Your health might suffer. You might have to live many, many miles away from adequate medical care. You might be physically assaulted. You might be arrested and put in jail and you might even die. In many places of the world, most of the perhaps and the mights and the possibilies which I just mentioned are more accurately stated as probably and surely. 
I'd like to spend the last part of this sermon discussing the answer to the question, why does God require me to enter into the sufferings of Christ? But before we get into this, there is a very important doctrinal truth we need to understand as we see clarity on the issue of Christ's suffering and our own suffering. And I'm just going to fly through this, you guys. So try and stay with me. John 3.16 states clearly that God the Father loved us so much that we sent God the Son, that he sent God the Son to die for us. The roles of the Father and the Son were very different. One sent another to do the task, and one was able to fulfill the task. The emphasis for the Father and well-established in Scripture was God's love for us. God sent Jesus to die for us and to pay the price for our sin because he loves us. We don't need to fully understand the whys behind that, but we just know he did. But the emphasis for Jesus to come to this earth, the emphasis for Jesus to come to this earth, to suffer in a way that no one had ever suffered and never will suffer, was not primarily because of his love for you and me. At the very center of Jesus' motivation... To fulfill this task was his love for the Father and his desire to fulfill the will of the Father. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Matthew 6, 9 and 10, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the garden of Gethsemane, and he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, farther, he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. But not what I will, but what you will have done. Jesus was distressed and troubled. He was sorrowful to the point of death. He knew what was coming. He seemed desperate for another way, but his desire to do God's will trumped everything else. It wasn't ultimately about the suffering. It was ultimately about Jesus fulfilling the will of his Father. This doesn't lessen in any way the immensity or importance of Christ's love for us. It just puts things in proper order. Jesus' allegiance to us, no matter how great, is not the same as his allegiance to his Father. So how does that impact us? Our suffering is never solely about the suffering. I have met people who seem to want to suffer, are looking for ways to suffer, who never stop talking about suffering, as if they were earning their way to heaven through their suffering. I'm reminded sometimes of Yenta in, in Filler on the Roof, and as she's saying goodbye to Golda, Golda, sometimes maybe we'll meet on a happier occasion. Meanwhile, we suffer. Oh, how we suffer. And we suffer in silence, right? Of course, right. (coughs) But But when we give ourselves over to Christ and we grow in him and as we become more like him, his desires become our desires. And because the desires of Christ are ultimately to fulfill the will of the Father... This is ultimately our desire as well. We, like Jesus in the garden, crowd in faith and trust, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And the Bible says so clearly over and over again that fulfilling the purposes of God will necessarily, in part, manifest itself in suffering for Christ's sake. So while we don't seek out the suffering of Christ for suffering's sake, 
We know for sure that being a follower of Jesus will include suffering in part as Jesus suffered. You have no idea how long it took me to put those thoughts together. (laughs) Wow, that took me a long time. I'm happy to be able to say that to you. Okay, we're going to go now five answers to the question of why we are to enter into Christ's suffering. Now listen, each one of these I could spend a whole sermon talking about, but I... Most of them are self-explanatory, so I'm just, going to, I'm just going to go through them quickly and just trust the Holy Spirit would speak to you um, quickly about these things. <clears throat> so the whys. For some reason, while I was preparing my sermon, I'm thinking about the whys in the movie Karate Kid came into my mind and thinking about Daniel-san and Mr. Miyagi saying, okay, you want to become a good, good at karate? Well, I'll, you know how you need to do that? Well, we'll take this, take this, this rag, go over to my car, and wax on, and then wax off. <laughs> wax on, and Daniel's like, yeah, I guess he just wants his cars waxed. So he finishes that, and Daniel San is starting to think, why is he doing this? What's the purpose? And he's thinking, now, Mr. Miyagi's surely going to tell me now. And Mr. Miyagi comes and sticks a paintbrush in his hand. See, see my fence? You know, paint up and down and up and down. And he's getting more and more frustrated. And why? Why? Why do I have to do this? And it doesn't make sense to him. It only makes sense at the end of the movie when he's doing this thing and he kicks the guy in the face. And then all that glory (laughs) comes to pass for him. But the why was first and the answers didn't come for a while. And I think that's the same with us as we enter into the sufferings of Christ. Often our questions are why, why, why? Rather than just I trust you and I know that you're doing this for a reason. I believe what your scripture says. And I'm just going to do it. And I'll allow you to handle the reasons. But I do believe the the Bible does give us some answers to those whys. And here they are. Number one, entering into Christ's sufferings allows us to understand him better. To see things through his eyes more clearly. When we first moved to Mongolia, it it blew me away. Um, and every day I would learn something new, and every day I was shocked, and every day I'm like, I cannot believe what I just saw. For years and years this happened. I would go home, and I would try to describe to people what living in Mongolia was like, and I couldn't, and it would have, I would have been astounded if someone had suggested that they understood completely what it was like to live in Mongolia without ever leaving Littleton, Colorado. They couldn't have. It's impossible. And I think it's impossible for us to truly understand the mind of Jesus until we enter into the same things that he entered into. And just that alone is worth the suffering. Just to understand Jesus better. Number two, we willingly enter into the sufferings of Christ simply, humbly, quietly, 
because it demonstrates the gospel more effectively to the world. It shows them that there is something worth living for and worth dying for and worth suffering for. John Piper told a story that J. Oswald Sanders told of a man in India, an indigenous preacher, very humble, and he walks miles and miles, and he's been walking miles and miles just trying to find towns and trying to find people who will listen to him. And And he finally gets to a town after a very long day, and he starts to talk to them, and they say, we don't want to hear what you have to say. And he turns, and he's depressed, and he's dejected, and he goes, and he lies under a tree, and he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, he sees all the people of the town standing around him. And the the town leader says, you know, we felt a little badly after we did that. And we came out to look at you. And you're lying down. And the soles of your feet were showing to us. And we saw that they were burned and blistered and calloused. And we thought, this man has been walking a long time. And so he must have a very important message to share with us. We'd love to hear what you have to say. It's such a beautiful picture. Number three, entering into the sufferings of Christ produces maturity in the followers of Jesus. Romans 3, 5, and uh, 3, 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to, uh, given to us. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the two phrases that are similar in both of ours are knowing that this suffering produces and knowing that the test of your faith produces. We know that and produces what? It produces all things that allow us to grow and to mature. And without that, and it's implied in the word knowing that, without that... We don't mature. We don't grow. And I think, oh, I just don't have time. I was going to mention <laughs> the fact that both said, of course, James says, count it all joy. And um, Paul says, we rejoice. That's for a different sermon. But we can. We can rejoice. And we can have joy. Not because somebody's experiencing pain or I'm experiencing pain, but because God is doing his work. Four, we are better able to comfort those who are afflicted and suffering. If one member, uh, I'll just go to this 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 10. Not all the way through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ 
we share abundantly in comfort too. And as we understand the mind of Jesus, and we know that Jesus is the great comforter, the great counselor, and we enter into his sufferings, we learn those same things. And then we then therefore are able to walk alongside those who are also suffering and grieving, and we are able to comfort them and pray for them and encourage them, lift them up to the Lord. Better, because we ourselves have suffered. <clears throat> and five, and this is, they're all good and they're all important, but this one is eternity. This is mostly about eternity. <clears throat> and it's in Romans eight sixteen through 18. And it is about our future glory. And it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You guys, this is an astounding statement. It is even more astounding that Paul should apply it to himself. When his ship was not sinking or when he was not being stoned or robbed or he was being whipped within an inch of his life. Yet he says this, and this is profoundly important to understand. He says that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the coming glory. You guys, no matter what any of us have gone through, no matter what any of us are presently going through, no matter what any of us will go through, the sum total is not worth comparing with the glory that awaits us. We can compare a thimble of water with the sea. But we cannot compare our sufferings with the coming glory. I got two more things before I, and I'm, I'm coming to a close. I just want to give deeper insight into what that glory will look like. Heaven shines with the glory of God. And its brilliance is like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The twelve gates are twelve pearls, each made of a single pearl. The, the great street of the city is of gold. There is no temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Jesus will confess our names before the Father and the angels, and he will clothe us in white garments. God will give us the water of life. Jesus will allow us to eat from the tree of life, and Jesus himself will give us the crown of life. There will be a constant chant of holy angels that are continually proclaiming holy, holy, holy over the throne of God. The mercy seat in heaven where God sits is surrounded by magnificent angels full of glory and power that proclaim and bless the holy name of God without ceasing. We will all be gathered before the throne. Every person on every nation on earth will be represented and we will gather together in the worship and praise of God. I'd like to close today by reading two entries from a website written a few years ago by a YWAM missionary to Thailand. And here's what he says. After coming back from our mission in China, we were waiting on God for our next call. 
To be honest, I was also praying about the possibility of getting a normal job and starting a building, start building a secure home life for my family. During our short time in the States, the Lord made it very clear to our family that he is our security and our home life is to be for the kingdom of God. Several times in my life, I would have to surrender my life and family to God, and this was another one of those times. Trying to be a responsible husband to my wife and a father to my daughter is not easy when I come back to visit America. Well-meaning friends of mine tell me that I am foolish to risk my family's future by living the way I do. But my family and I know that there are many people all over this earth that will spend eternity with Christ because we obeyed the call. My family also knows that even if if we saw no fruit from our obedience to his call to reach all the nations for his kingdom, it is still worth the risk. This was written by Jeff Roganback. I said I was going to read two entries from Jeff. I will read his second entry in a second. This next thing that I will read is from a Facebook post one month ago by YWAM Canada. It was posted on June 9th, 2014. Sad news from YWAM Thailand. It is with great sadness that we report to you the death of one of our families working in Mesot. Jeff and Jin Roganback and their 13-year-old daughter Jasmine were driving home from Chiang Mai to Mesot. They were on the very dangerous and notorious stretch of road near Mesot. Jeff and his family were killed in a head-on accident with an 18-wheeler truck. Jeff and Jin's website is still up. So I went to it, and on the, when you pull it up, it has something that they wrote on the front page, and this is what it says. <clears throat> Missions. God can do anything through anyone surrendered to him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. The Bible says that all believers should take risks to live our lives totally for Christ. We are told to spend our earthly lives, even to the death, using all our money, all our time, and all our strength for Jesus. Would Jesus really expect us to take that kind of risk? Jesus said, do not be afraid of those that can kill the body. Jesus told his beloved disciples that they would be persecuted and they would be killed. When someone takes a risk for Christ, they could very easily die early. James died early by by having his head cut off. Stephen died early by being stoned. But if you take that risk as they and many others did, Jesus will be standing with open arms to welcome you home as he did with his first martyr. If you choose to take this kind of risk for the Lord, many of the people around you will tell you and most likely try to convince you that it is not wise to take such a risk. All I have to say is go back to the words of Christ from the Gospels. Remember your first love experience with God. Put your hands over your ears so you cannot hear the multitude and obey God with all your heart. Can you pray with me, please? God, Jeff and Jin and Jasmine, it was clearly their desire to enter into your sufferings. Despite what the world said, They wanted to know you better, and they wanted to do the will of the Father. And they did that right up until the time they were entered into your presence. 
and you receive them with open arms. Oh, God, I, I just pray that the things of this world would not detract and distract. I want to pray for those who are suffering. But I want to be careful not to say, remove the suffering from them. It may be the very thing that fills your purposes. But I do want to say, give them comfort. Give them your peace. Give them your joy. joy. Every one of us will enter into sufferings as we grow in you and know you better. Help us to suffer only for the right reasons. Help us to know you better. Help us to live the way you want, to die the way you want, and help us to fulfill your purposes on this earth. We thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.